Well, over the past few weeks, if you've been paying attention, you have been hearing a lot of parables. Two weeks ago, it was a parable about a sower who went out to cast seeds on all kinds of soil. Last week, it was a parable about a field that produced both good plants and bad plants, both wheat and weeds. This week, we get not one, not two, not three, but count them, six parables in rapid succession. We hear about a mustard seed, we hear about a measure of flour that has been leavened by yeast, we hear about some hidden treasure and a pearl of great price, we hear about a big catch of fish, and then finally we hear about the master of a household. All of these parables, Jesus says, have something to tell us about the kingdom of heaven. And it's worth noting, just in passing, that not all of these parables say exactly the same thing. They each have something different to tell us. And with all of these parables flying around and all of this challenging and mysterious imagery, it's easy for us to get distracted from what is really going on here. I think perhaps the most important thing for us to notice in this section of Matthew has less to do with the precise meaning of any one of these parables or even the meaning of all of the parables and instead has more to do with the context within which these parables appear. There is something happening here that is so obvious that it is easy for us to overlook it. What exactly is going on in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel? The most concise answer to that question is found in verse 52, the very last verse of our gospel lesson and the very last of the six parables that we hear today. Jesus says to his disciples, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of his household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Of all the parables that we've heard over the last few weeks, this is the one that most helps us clarify what's going on. And the thing here that is so obvious that it's easy for us to overlook has to do with what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's teaching them. He's trying to help them see the world and to see him and to see themselves in ways that are radically different from the ways that they are used to seeing and to thinking. The message that he proclaims and the work that God is doing in and through him are so counterintuitive and so different from what they're familiar with that he has to help them learn new ways of seeing and new ways of understanding, new ways of being in the world. And indeed, Jesus is asking us to do the same. So when we can get beyond our preoccupation with the meaning of this particular parable or that particular parable, as worthwhile and valuable as those questions are, we see something even more fundamental going on here, something that has to do with our need to allow Jesus to teach us how to see the world and how to understand the world in ways that are different from the ways we typically use to make sense of our lives, to see things in a way that is completely aligned with what God is doing in the world through Christ and through the Spirit. Well, right now you might be thinking, well, okay, Jesus is teaching his disciples. 
No big deal, of course he's teaching his disciples. Jesus did a lot of teaching. Why should it be surprising or significant that Jesus is teaching his disciples here in Matthew 13? The answer to that question lies in a pattern that emerges over the course of Matthew's gospel. If we were to look at the whole of Matthew, we see something interesting happen. And it's evident both in what Jesus teaches and how Jesus teaches. Over the course of the entire gospel, we see his teaching become more focused, but also become more obscure. His message becomes increasingly clarified, but it also becomes increasingly confrontational. At the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to large crowds and is willing to talk to just about anyone. By the time we get to the end of Matthew, the large crowds are calling for his death, and he is left with only a handful of followers. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is saying nice things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the time we get to the end of Matthew, Jesus is saying things like, when you see the desolating sacrilege standing in the holy place, flee to the mountains. In other words, as it becomes increasingly clear what Jesus is saying, it becomes increasingly clear just how different the message of Jesus is from what people expected and what people wanted to hear. And indeed, we see this even within the context of Matthew 13, the section of the gospel from which today's gospel is taken. At the beginning of the chapter, a crowd gathers around Jesus to hear what he has to say. By the end of the chapter, people are just confused. They say to one another, who does this guy think that he is? We know him, we know his family, we know his background. Where is he getting all of this kingdom of heaven stuff? And so, says Matthew, they took offense at him. And he could not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. The thing that today's gospel helps highlight for us has to do with just how important it is for us to allow the ways that we think about God and the ways we think about the world and the way we think about ourselves to be shaped by the gospel of Christ. And today's gospel also helps to make the point that it's very hard for us to do that. That's because the gospel of Christ oftentimes cuts right across the ways that we're used to thinking and the ways that we're used to seeing. And that brings us back to the passage that I mentioned earlier. Jesus says to his disciples, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now when Jesus first spoke those words, he was referring to the work that God was doing in and through him in his ministry. He was telling his disciples that they were called to do the same thing that they saw him doing. They were to proclaim that in him, God had brought out the old treasure of God's covenant with Israel and that God had done so in new and unanticipated ways. The promises to Abraham and to Moses and to David and to all of God's people had been fulfilled, but in ways that went far beyond what anyone expected. Treasures old and treasures new. 
Jesus had aligned the old treasure of the covenant with the new treasure of his life and his teaching, and the result was nothing less than the redemption of the world. He himself had been appointed master of the household, and he called his disciples to build on the work that he himself had begun. And today, it is no different Jesus still says to all those who would be his disciples that they are called to be scribes trained for the kingdom. That is you, that is every person in this room. Those who follow Jesus have been given, you, every person in this room, has been given some measure of oversight in the household of God. And you have been appointed to leverage the tension between what is new and what is old in ways that are creative and life-giving and redemptive. So what does it mean to be a scribe trained for the kingdom? The Greek word that we translate as scribe actually carries a specific connotation. It's the same word that's usually translated in the New Testament as teacher of the law. The disciples of Jesus would have known immediately who he was talking about when he said the scribes. The teachers of the law were those who had dedicated their lives to the study of the scriptures. These were people who knew the covenant backwards and forwards. These were people whose facility with the law was such that they could apply it to new and unforeseen circumstances. In other words, Jesus is setting a rather high bar here. Those who follow him are to be teachers of his law. They are to dedicate their lives to the study of his gospel, and they have to know it backwards and forwards so they can apply it to new and unforeseen circumstances. They are to demonstrate by their words and their actions what the law of Christ has to do with every dimension of human experience. That's what it means to be a scribe trained for the kingdom. What does it mean to be master of the household? Again, the Greek is helpful here. This is not the staff, this is not even the manager, this is the owner. This is the one with the vested interest in making sure that the whole household flourishes, the one who is constantly thinking about ways of leveraging their resources to create new opportunities and pursue greater prosperity. This is the one who looks out not only for their own well-being, but for the well-being of all those who depend on the owner for their livelihood and their well-being. And where exactly is the household of God? Is it the church? Yes. Is it the culture? Yes. Is it the world? Yes. Each and every one of us are called in different ways to use the gift that God has given to us to create new opportunities for God's love to be revealed in the church, in the culture, and in the world. That's what it means to bear the divine image, to exercise the sovereignty and the mercy and the love of God in ways that contribute to the flourishing of all people. What does it mean to bring out treasures both new and old. The image there, obviously, is one of stewardship. Thoughtful, balanced, productive stewardship. Bringing out new treasures means being able to distinguish legitimate opportunities from worthless fads. Bringing out old treasures means holding on to what is essential while being willing to let go of what is not. 
And putting the new and the old together in that way is not a compromise or a zero-sum game. We don't have to split the difference between what is new and what is old. Rather, we are called to allow what is old to engage our efforts to think about what's new, even as we allow the new to refresh and reconfigure the old. What are the things that we've been doing as a community of faith for years now, perhaps, that continue to inspire and energize and motivate us? Are there things we've perhaps been doing now for years as a community of faith that we may need to set aside so we can focus on other more important work? What is essential for the church in today's world and what is not? Are there conditions or circumstances that invite us to proclaim the gospel in new ways for the sake of reaching those who may have never heard it, or even more challenging, who think they have heard it, but have not? The message hasn't changed, but we are always to be looking for new ways to proclaim it. So this last several weeks, we have heard a lot of parables. (laughs) Some of those parables offer us images of abundance. Some of them offer us images of judgment. Some of them offer us images of dedication and faithful creative service. All of them are for us and none more so than the one that calls us to present ourselves for the kind of training that Jesus offers to us training that will make us ready and able to bring forth the treasure of his salvation for the sake of the world. May we be blessed this day and every day as we offer ourselves for the service of his kingdom and as we show forth his faith, his hope, and his love in our lives to the honor of his name. Amen.